Hello and welcome to the Lancet Infectious Diseases podcast. Richard Lane with you on Friday, February the 1st. This month we're focusing on a research article looking at HIV among men who have sex with men. Let's hear from our author introducing herself. Daniela De Angelis. I am a program leader at the Medical Research Council Biostatistics Unit in Cambridge. I have an attachment to the Health Protection Agency as well. Dr. De Angelis, many thanks indeed for talking to the Lancet Infectious Diseases. You're the author of a paper published Friday, February the 1st, and in your study, you've basically looked at HIV incidents in the first decade of the 21st century, specifically among men who have sex with men, and let's say MSA from now on. For context, please, can you explain why you set out to do the study? What were the main objectives of your study? Well, generally speaking, estimating the, the number of new infections is important because it's a way of monitoring the HIV transmission. And this is particularly important in the MSM population. It's a very high risk population in England and Wales. And amongst this population, HIV is most prevalent. We're talking around 9% of the MSM population will be infected with HIV in London, which amounts to roughly 20,000 individuals infected, and 3% of this population infected with HIV elsewhere, basically around 18,000 MSM infected with HIV outside London. So clearly, monitoring transmission is important to evaluate prevention and to initiate new initiatives to stop transmission. Indeed, and before you did the study, were you making any assumptions about whether HIV incidence in this population was increasing, decreasing, level? Did you not know? Well, we don't do this kind of work regularly enough. There have been some speculation, some indicators that there was ongoing transmission. We ourselves did some work a few years ago, but this needs to be repeated on a regular basis to update the information, really. This particular piece of work was actually triggered by really the need to understand what was behind the continuing increased trends in the number of new HIV diagnoses among MSM, and also to contribute to the international debate on the role of strategies like test and treat strategies in the eradication of HIV. Let me clarify this. New HIV diagnoses are not the same, are not equivalent to new HIV infections. The HIV diagnosis is the outcome of a complex situation which involves transmission, infection, progression and diagnosis. For example, if we observe an increase in the number of new diagnoses in a particular year, is this due to an increase in the number of infections or improvements in the way the HIV is diagnosed? Clearly, we need to reconstruct the mechanism that is lent to the observed diagnosis data to be able to understand what is driving the increase in the number of new diagnoses. And this is basically and how in this the number of new infections and the uh, improvement in testing uh, are contributing. And this is basically what we did through the use of what we call the CD4-based back calculation method. Thank you. Just remind us the importance of CD4 cell assessment. You've used something called a CD4 cell back count. So tell us what that means. CD4 cells are basically white blood cells, which are an essential part of the human immune system. And HIV attacks these cells and progressively destroys them. So, for instance, a healthy individual has a number of CD4 cells of the order of 500 to 1,200 per microliter. And so, in an infecting individual, this is a marker of the duration of the infection. So, basically, it's an important marker. And what we did is to use the 
information on that HIV diagnosis. In this way, I'm going to explain in a minute. But, but let me explain to you what the back calculation idea is, which is the medicine through which we relating the new HIV diagnosis to the new HIV infection. The idea of the back calculation was developed at the beginning of the 80s as a means to estimate the number of new infections from data or named diagnosis. And it's a very simple idea. If we have information on the time that it takes from an HIV infection to the development of AIDS, then given data on AIDS diagnosis over time, we can reconstruct the number of infections over time that must have occurred to produce the observed pattern of AIDS cases. So we can reconstruct the number of infections given information on the time to, of progression and given an observed number of AIDS cases over time. So here the situation is the same. What we are looking at uh, as an endpoint instead of the AIDS cases, uh, the HIV diagnosis. Thank you very much. And what data did you use to come up with the estimates in your study? We looked at the number of new diagnoses instead of the AIDS diagnoses, which are not relevant anymore. And we looked at the late diagnoses, so those occurring with the same quarter of a subsequent AIDS diagnosis, and then what we define as the non-late HIV diagnosis, the more genuine HIV diagnosis, so those with no accompanying AIDS diagnosis within three months. Then we use information, we use data on the CD4 counts around diagnosis, which I have explained earlier, provides information on the duration of infection. Yeah. These data are all collected regularly by the Health Protection Agency through established surveillance schemes. It's described in the paper. And then finally, we use estimate of the HIV progression between CD4 disease stages derived from an analysis of data from an international collaboration, the Cascade collaboration. So basically, we are approximating what it will be the time from HIV infection to HIV diagnosis to a progression through disease stages defined on the basis of CD4 counts, and then introducing the possibility of being the risk of being diagnosed over time as the disease progresses from each of the CD4 stages in the natural history. And all of this allowed us to estimate both the incidence of HIV over time, so the number of new infections over time, and also the time-varying proportion of infection diagnosed at different stages of the disease. Thank you very much. That's very clear. And moving naturally on from there, could you summarize the key findings from your study and what important trends have you identified? One of the main results is the number of new infections remain constant, stable, around 2000. 300, 2,500 new infections per year over the last 10 years, and there is no evidence of, of decline. There's been an improvement in the way people have been diagnosed, which is reflecting in the mean time from HIV infection to diagnosis, decreasing from four years at the beginning of 2000 to 3.2 years at the end of 2010. This is, however, a modest improvement. The other important findings from our work is the estimated number of undiagnosed infections increased from 2001 to 2005, then started to decline since then. And by the end of 2010, the estimated number of undiagnosed infections was around 
7,700. Not very different from what was at the beginning of the decade, which was around 7,300. So these are the main results. A stable incidence is a modest improvement in time they take people to diagnose themselves from infection and then resulting modest decrease in the number of undiagnosed infections. Are you surprised by that main finding? Because clearly HIV diagnosis, you're saying, is getting better, obviously, over time. Access to care, medication, therapy, counselling, testing, the system is improving, but yet new diagnoses are not falling. Precisely, and I think this is a very important message from our work. Testing and access to care has been expanding. MSM in England and Wales can freely test themselves in sort of dedicated sexually transmitted infection clinics. For those who are diagnosed, the link to care is prompt and 95% are retained in care per year. There is an initiation of antiretroviral for people whose CD4 counts are below 350 cells per microliter. At the same time, we observed, and this is data we didn't particularly directly use in the model, but this is data that we gathered provided by the Health Protection Agency. There's been a 3.7-fold rise in testing over the last 10 years, from around 16,000 to roughly 60 and, and there's been a continuing expansion in the number of those in care who were receiving antiretroviral therapy from 9,000 in 2001 to roughly 23,000 in 2010, corresponding to 69% and 80% of those in care in the two years. This massive increase in testing, this expansion in the treatment coverage could have led to, first of all, a decrease in the number of undiagnosed infections. And second, to the a reduction of the infectivity in those on treatment. And these two components will have had the effect, in a way, of reducing transmission and therefore reducing the number of infections. In reality, we didn't observe a decline in the number of new infections. Thank you very much. And finally, what do you think, you've already touched on this, but what are the implications? Because there are implications, aren't there, for the management of HIV in England and Wales from this study? We think that the lack of decline could be somehow attributing to resurgence of unsafe sex or unsafe practices. We don't really include any sexual behaviour in our model, so this is more of a speculation. But it looks as if there are two reservoirs infections that is driving transmission. This is made up by those individuals who are infected and not yet diagnosed, or those people who have been diagnosed but yet not initiating antiretroviral therapy. The implication of all of this is if we want to bring about a decline in transmission,